story. I can't wait. Only a few more weeks before I get to go home and get out of this place. I am so ready for Christmas break, where I can finally just like relax for a minute. Except, wasn't this supposed to be my escape from home? No one telling me to do my laundry or when to do my homework or to even go to sleep. Mama always knows how to get on my last nerve, nagging me about who knows what. Put your shoes on the rack. Go walk the dog. When are you going to do these dishes? Do you ever put that cell phone of yours down? And yet, here I am, Mom, almost finished with my first year of college. I didn't have you micromanaging me. And you know what? I have all A's in my classes, and I'm ready for finals. I turned out just fine. And so what if I went to, like, a couple parties and had a couple drinks? It's not like I got caught. So what if I hang out with the quote-unquote wrong crowd? Just because they don't go to church with their parents doesn't mean they're the wrong crowd. I'm finally free, and you know what, Mom? I'm finally happy. Um, I think. Except when I don't have money for booze or gas to go out, then I'm just, like, kind of lonely. Why does she keep looking at me and smiling? I already told her I wasn't interested. So I let it slip I went on a missions trip last year. Oh, well doesn't mean I want to join that weird Christian club. And how did a girl like her end up at a college like this anyways? We all know the reputation of the students here, and you know what they say. You lay with the dogs and you'll end up with fleas. Wait, I hope that doesn't mean I have fleas. I mean, I'm not like them, right? I'm still a good person. Just because I did a few bad things doesn't make me a bad person, right? I don't want to be like everyone else here. I don't want to get used to this lifestyle. God, I don't want to be comfortable in this life of sin. I don't want it to get out of control. How can I stop it, Lord? Now that I think about it, I'm not happy. I'm lost. I don't know who I am or where I'm going. This semester went by so fast, and now what? You know, maybe I'll just talk to her after class. Maybe I'll stop by the next meeting. Maybe I can be the light in the dark place, just like her. Just like Jesus. So why would God wrap himself in human flesh and come to this earth at Christmas time? Oh, if Mary, if Mary had understood even a fraction of what those a, that angel meant when he said, you're going to be with child and he'll be the savior of his people, she must have looked in that baby's eyes when she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in that manger. And she must have wondered, what are you really doing here? And when the angel said to the shepherds on the hillside, unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. If they understood even a smidgen of what that angel meant, when they went to that stable and saw that Christ child, they must have asked, what in the world are you doing here? What is your purpose? What kind of a mission are you really on? Well, in the purpose statement that Jesus made some 33 years later, he gave us a clear indication 
of exactly why he had come. Would you look at it with me? You can find this in the Bible in Luke's gospel, chapter 19 and verse 10. Look at what Jesus said. For the Son of Man, that's his favorite reference to himself, okay? The Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. Now, what did he mean by lost there? What, what, what does that mean? Some of you may have seen this little diagram that we use. You can see it on the screens right now, which has four different stages that a person may be in, right? And you'll notice that one of them on the very outer portion of those concentric circles says exploring Christ. Does everybody see that? Exploring Christ. Now, that's just a more flattering, more positive, more encouraging way of saying we're lost, right? We're kind of in this discovery mode, this exploring mode. We're checking it out. We're seeking to know the truth. We're seeking to know who Christ is and what this is all about. And when a person is in that place, you see, they they don't yet have a, a saving personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's what Jesus meant when he said, look, that's why I've come, to seek and to save people who don't right now have a saving relationship with God. I've come to make that possible. Through my death and resurrection, there is going to be a way for sin to be forgiven, for you to be adopted into God's family, and I'm going to literally change your life starting from the inside out. That's what Jesus' mission, that's what his purpose was all about, and that's what I want you to ponder with me today. Because after he saves us, he wants to then do something with our lives. He wants to move us from exploring to beginning in our relationship with Christ and then to get close to Christ and then to become truly Christ-centered people. So let's go on this journey together. I want you to consider with me the motive, the mission, and then the method of Jesus' mission here, of his purpose and how he goes about seeking explorers, those who are currently lost, okay? First of all, I want you to consider his motive. Jesus' motive for coming into the world was that he saw people as lost, separated from the Father. That's why. That's the motive. If you were in a supermarket and you saw a little three-year-old girl who's been separated from her mother and she's fighting back the tears and the terror, right? Because she realizes she's lost. Mom is nowhere to be found. If you had any compassion at all, you would stop whatever you were doing, no matter how hurried you might be, and you would try to help that precious little girl find her mom again, right? Or if you were at a crowded amusement park, And you saw a little four-year-old boy, and he's just kind of walking along with his dad, but the dad isn't really noticing where his four-year-old son is going. And the four-year-old turns down a side street, and he is oblivious to the fact that he is lost and about to be in great danger. What would you do? If you had a heart of caring at all, even though he might 
initially resist your efforts, you would try to reconcile, to try to get that little boy back in touch with his father so he'd be safe again and saved from danger. And Jesus said, look, that's why I came. People are in a perilous situation. Sin is a big deal. And sin has separated us from the heavenly father. And without him, we are lost. That's why Jesus came. Now, some people in our world know they're lost, like that little girl. Some are oblivious to the fact of where they are spiritually, like the little boy I mentioned. But make no mistake, there are people all around us who are spiritually just drifting and don't have a sense of what true north is, don't have a sense of what is right and wrong or true and false, don't have a sense of who God really is. Jesus said, that's why I came. My motive was to bring people to a saving relationship with the Father. But his mission, secondly, I want you to see that Jesus' mission was to save the lost from every end of the spectrum. Now, some of you may have a Bible with you today, and that's cool if you do. And if you have that open to Luke's gospel, you can see there that in chapter 18, the chapter just prior to the chapter we read from today in Jesus' fourth purpose statement, And if we pick that up in verse 18, I want you to see three different people. They all happen to be male. They could just as easily be female. But I think these three individuals that Jesus encountered, two in chapter 18 and then Zacchaeus in chapter 19, I think represent the kinds of people that Jesus came to save. First of all, let's consider this guy that we've called the rich young ruler. The rich young ruler. And his problem was he had lost his perspective. Now let's pick it up in verse 18 of Luke chapter 18. A certain ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, this young man had a lot of things going for him. I'd like to think that he's the kind of guy who could have donned the front page of GQ magazine, you know. He had a great financial portfolio. He could afford all the finest clothes. He had a very handsome appearance. But the problem was he was lost. Now, don't get me wrong. He wasn't the kind of person who just disses God. In fact, apparently, he was putting some thought into who am I? Where am I going? Why am I here? What's my purpose in life? Because he comes to Jesus with a question. And he asks, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He had some spiritual thoughts going on. He had some thoughts about God because even though he was fabulously rich, something was still missing. And Jesus knew exactly what it was. This young man had been moral. He said, I've kept the commandments even from my youth. Jesus knew what his problem was and he put his finger on that problem. Money had become a God for this guy. Look at what Jesus said says next, when he heard this, 
by the way, Jesus had said to him, look, what you need to do is go sell all you have, give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Now, as far as we know, we don't have a record of Jesus ever saying that to any other person. He might have, but it's not recorded anywhere else in Scripture or anywhere else in history that he said that to anyone else. He was putting his finger on materialism, which had come, become a god for this young man. And when he heard this, when he heard what Jesus said, he became very sad because he was a man of great wealth. He wasn't really willing to deal with what had become the key issue, the key barrier between him and God. And look at what Jesus said next. Jesus looked at him and said, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. Those who heard this asked, who then can be saved? Jesus replied, what's impossible with men is possible with God. This young man would represent what we might call an up-and-outer. Had all kinds of things going for him, but spiritually his soul was empty. He was still missing something he desperately desired. But he was unwilling. He was unwilling to deal with the thing that had become a God in his life. And so he walked away sad. Jesus came into the world to save people like that up and outers, people who've lost perspective on what's really important. And some of them, some of them happen to be rich. But secondly, I want us to consider another person Jesus encountered, and that is this blind beggar named Bartimaeus. If the rich young ruler had lost his perspective, Bartimaeus had lost his hope. He he had just lost his hope. Do you know anyone like that this season? Do you know anyone who's just struggles with just going day by day and facing another day? Let's pick the story up here in the text. As Jesus approached Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard the crowd going by, he asked what was happening. They told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. He called out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Those who led the way rebuked him and told him to be quiet. But he shouted all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, what a contrast between these two guys. The first one is an up and outer. Bartimaeus is kind of a down and outer, right? He has no money. He probably has few, if any, friends He has bad health. He has no hope in life. He struggles just making it day by day and lives his life begging, trying to live off the goodwill of other people. What a contrast. And unlike the rich young ruler, I believe that Bartimaeus knew very well that he was lost. He knew very well his plight in life. And he was desperately looking for help. You know, uh, blind people 
often develop a sort of sixth sense, I'm told, because they don't have that faculty of sight. They develop a a keen sense of perception through their hearing and other senses of what's going on around them. And when Bartimaeus heard that this itinerant healer, this Jesus guy was coming through, he wanted to get in contact with him. And so he rather aggressively begins to pursue Jesus. Let's read on in the story. Jesus stopped and ordered the man to be brought to him. When he came near, Jesus asked him, what do you want me to do for you? Lord, I want to see, he replied. Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has healed you. Immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus, praising God. When all the people saw it, they also praised God. Wow. And I believe from that day forward, Bartimaeus became one of Jesus' most devoted followers. Jesus saw him in his plight, and he wanted to help this man because his compassion just reached out to him. And I believe in heaven one day, friends, we're going to see blind Bartimaeus. He's not going to be blind anymore, of course. Jesus not only healed him here on earth, but he's going to be perfectly and completely whole in heaven. And I believe he's going to be singing louder, perhaps, than anyone else. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now am found, was blind in more ways than one. But now I see Jesus came to save the up-and-outers, the down-and-outers, people from every end of the spectrum. That was his mission. He said, that's why I came into the world that first Christmas. There's one other person here I want you to consider that Jesus encountered. It's in chapter 19, and his name is Zacchaeus. Some of you, if you went to Sunday school growing up, you may remember the story of Zacchaeus, this wee little man, as the child's song says, who climbed up in a tree in order to be able to see Jesus passing by. This tax collector named Zacchaeus represents a whole different category of person. If the rich young ruler had lost his perspective, if blind Bartimaeus had lost his hope, I would suggest to you today that Zacchaeus had lost his integrity. And his greed was just eating him alive. So let's unpack this story real quick. The text says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. Now friends, it was virtually impossible in that day to be a tax collector, and to maintain your integrity. Here's why I say that. You see, the Romans were in charge of Palestine, and there was no individual tax assessment made by the Roman government to people, okay? What they did instead was they hired locals in order to collect the taxes, locals because they knew the customs, they knew the language, they knew the nuances of the culture, and these locals who became tax collectors were considered turncoats or traitors by their own people because they were collaborating with the Roman government. 
But here's the deal. The Roman government would say to them, look, uh, uh, the assessment for your district is 100,000 denarii or whatever it would be. And that's how much they had to collect. But the way it worked is anything you got over that was yours to keep. Can you imagine a system like that and how rife it was for corruption? Can you imagine all the backstabbing and deception and infighting that went on? And the more cruel and mean-hearted you were, the wealthier you became. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. That meant that he had others working for him. He was a big muckety-muck in this crooked racket of collecting taxes in Palestine. We read on. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man, he could not because of the crowd. Oliver Wendell Holmes was a very short man in stature, and once he was at a gathering, a party of sorts, where he was the shortest man present. And one of the guys there said, Dr. Holmes, I guess you pretty feel pretty small in the midst of us big guys. Dr. Holmes said, yes, I do. I feel like a dime in the midst of a bunch of pennies, okay? Well, Zacchaeus was short in stature, but he was big when it came to power and influence. But the people of the land, the local people, again, hated him. And I'm sure that as he tried to see Jesus, they intentionally elbowed and jostled him. He could not get to Jesus because of the crowd. And you know, folks, when I read that, I just can't help but wonder how many people there may be right here in our area who would really like to get a better look at Jesus, but they can't see Jesus because of the church crowd. Do you know what I mean? They can't see beyond the hypocrisy in some of our lives. Oh, they'd like to get a better look of who Jesus really is, but, but you know what? Our lives are, are blocking the way and our lives are speaking so loudly they can't see who Jesus really is. The double standards, the deception, the lack of maturity. So many of us aren't really close to Christ. We're just still kind of beginners in this whole thing. And there, there's so much growing that we need to do so that our lives wouldn't get in the way, right? And let's pray for that. Let's pray that we would be the kind of church where our lives, all of us, would actually represent Jesus well. Our lives would be our ministry, And God would actually be honored, be honored to use our puny, imperfect lives to actually show people a glimpse of who Jesus really is and what he's like. But Zacchaeus had a problem. He he couldn't see Jesus because of the crowd. Let's read on. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. That was a very undignified thing to do, by the way. It says something, I think, about the hunger that was in Zacchaeus' heart. And I'm convinced that there are people right here in the capital region who are really hungry for God. I believe that. 
And I believe that they're looking at all kinds of things to try to satisfy that spiritual hunger. Zacchaeus represents that kind of person. He wanted to know who this Jesus really was. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Isn't that great? The people that everybody else snubbed, the people that nobody would try to help out spiritually. The people, the kind of guy, the guy, very guy that others despise, Jesus was willing to get close to and build a relationship with. He said, look, I'm gonna go to your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. Let's read on. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. (gasps) Can you believe that? Does that sound a little strange to you? I mean, that's like saying, can you believe it? That doctor treats sick people. (gasps) Of course. That's why Jesus came. By the way, there's a subtle lesson in that for us, isn't there? The church was never meant to be a haven for saints so much as it's meant to be a hospital for sinners. We should never get freaked out or bent out of shape when there's sinners in our midst. We're all on a journey, aren't we? And we should rejoice and celebrate and thank God when in the orbit of real Christians are some people like Zacchaeus some people who are hungry for God, but truly, truly got a long way to go in order to find this God they're looking for. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. You know what I wonder? I wonder if Zacchaeus might have been present. Remember, they live in the same town. They both live in Jericho. When the rich young ruler had come up and talked to Jesus, I wonder if Zacchaeus might have been on the outskirts of that conversation and heard what Jesus said. And I wonder if here, maybe Zacchaeus was thinking, the rich young guy, ruler, he blew a grand opportunity. I'm not gonna miss my moment. He could have been thinking that. Or he could have been thinking when he said, I'm going to give half my possessions to the poor. He could have been thinking, boy, I hope Jesus doesn't ask me to give everything like the rich young ruler. So I'm going to try to cut him off of the past and say, I'll give half. Maybe, maybe he was thinking that. We don't know. But obviously something is going on in his soul. God is working in his life. We read on, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I'll pay back four times the amount. Wow. When Zacchaeus found Jesus, he found his integrity, he found his dignity, he found his generosity, and he found his eternity. And I want you to look at these glorious last verses here. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the son of man came to seek and to save what was lost. Friends, are you listening to me today? Jesus' mission 
was to save people from every end of the spectrum. Up and outers, down and outers, people who are in all kinds of spiritual situations and life situations. The rich young ruler, (laughs) he'd lost his perspective. Materialism, money had become his God. Blind Bartimaeus had lost his hope. Despair was crushing the life out of him. Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus had lost his integrity. He was bartering his integrity for something called financial security. And greed was just eating him alive. Jesus came to save people in all those situations and every other possible situation. And can I say to you today, there are people within a stone's throw of your house in all of those situations. There are people in your relational orbit who are truly lost and need a relationship with God. And the Lord wants to use you in that scenario to help them find Christ. You see, sometimes I think we don't appreciate what it means to really be lost and to understand that it's like there's this death sentence on our life. Sin is a big deal. That's the message of the Bible. I grew up on a farm, as some of you know, and we use something called a bush hog. Some of you know what that is, but for those of you who don't know what a bush hog is, it's like a giant mower, okay? Think of it like a giant lawn mower. It has these very powerful blades, and it'll not only cut grass, it'll cut small saplings and little trees. It's so powerful. I mean, a, a bush hog is a powerful thing. And so imagine a farmer going along and there's this big anthill. You notice this massive anthill and the next swath the farmer takes with the bush hog as he goes around, he is just going to obliterate that anthill. Now let's suppose that you're an ant lover, all right? What are you going to do? I mean, wrath is coming. Destruction is on the way. It's just a matter of time. This is a big deal. Lives are going to be lost. It's going to be catastrophic. I suppose you're a real ant lover. What are you going to do? You could try to talk to them, but you can't communicate. You can try sign language, but they're not going to get it. But what if you could become an ant yourself. Talk to them, speak their language. Tell them what's about to happen and how they can be saved. That's about the only way you could probably make a difference. That's what Jesus did at Christmas time. Last week, a number of you commented and were very uh, encouraging and thankful uh, about the way we talked about John 3.16. You remember that toward the end of the message, how I broke it down and showed how that it just represents all the greatest things. And that's why it's such a special verse. We love John 3.16. Let's look at it again. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. But we usually don't go on reading after that. We usually stop 
right there with John 3.16. We need to read further. For instance, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And, And even if we do read on, we usually stop right there, right? What we need to do is read a little further. And then we would really understand the need for the gospel. Because John 3, verse 18 reads like this. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is perfectly okay because sin is no big deal. I'm sorry, I had a little blank out there. I, I, I sometimes have that problem. But whoever does not believe ought not to sweat it because everybody's going to be saved in the end anyway. I'm sorry, I'm reading from that heresy version again. Help me here, folks. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. That's good news. Whoever's in the Lord is not condemned. No more condemnation. But here's what Jesus said. Here's what Jesus said about the matter. But whoever does not believe stands condemned already. That's what it means that our sin has separated us from God. We stand condemned already because he's not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. So I ask you a question today as we move toward our close, not only of this message, but of this series that we've been looking at, these purpose statements of Jesus. I ask you seriously now, as a friend, as a person who cares, let me ask you, where do you really stand with God? Where do you stand with him? Would you put yourself in the category of maybe Zacchaeus? Would you, would you put yourself in the, in the category of um, blind Bartimaeus? Don't have a lot of hope? Maybe the category of the rich young ruler or something similar? Jesus came because he loves you. He loves me. He wants to save us from the penalty of our sins. There's one final thing I want to share as we wrap up today, and that is that Jesus' method was not abrasive. Now, here's one of the things that truly amazes me about Jesus. Have you ever noticed this? I love this about Jesus. He spoke the truth. He didn't pull any punches. He didn't soft soap things. But he also didn't pressure people. I mean, think about it. Just the stories we've looked at today. When the rich young ruler turned away sad, Jesus didn't go running after him and try to water down the message. Oh, I didn't really mean that. You know, you don't really need to deal with the materialism in God in your life. Just just kidding. Just seeing how you'd respond. No. He just told him the truth and let the chips fall. And he didn't go after him and pressure him either. And he didn't approach blind Bartimaeus and say, hey, buddy, I've come to straighten you out. I've got all the answers you need. When Bartimaeus wasn't really interested in answers. No, he wasn't abrasive like that. 
he waited until Bartimaeus showed an interest, till Bartimaeus came asking for help. And Jesus helped Zacchaeus only after he had climbed a tree and done something so extreme to show his spiritual need and desire and interest. I, I, I'm just amazed at Jesus because I see in him a balance that we seldom hit. In my experience, Christians are either obnoxiously abrasive or so passive they make no difference whatsoever. That's my experience. And there's somewhere in there a real sweet spot of balance where we're more like Jesus and where we present the truth and led by the Holy Spirit, we open an opportunity for people to respond. Back in the mid-1800s, a man named Holman Hunt painted a picture, which I'm sure some of you have seen, Could we have that on the screens right now? Holman Hunt painted this picture in the mid-1800s. Some of you have seen that. Many of us had this in our church building growing up. It's a famous picture, and this picture of Jesus knocking on the door of a little cottage was inspired by Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. You know that verse? Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'll come in and dine with him or her and and he with me. Now, it was originally given to the church in Laodicea. It was an invitation to the church to let me in. Look, you've shut me out of your life, but, but let me in. But it's become a wonderful metaphor of what Jesus wants to do in every individual's life. And and that's the way Holman Hunt was using it here. And somebody said to Holman Hunt, look, you, you made a mistake. There's no latch on the door, and there is no latch. And Holman Hunt said, oh, no, 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 no. That was intentional. There's no latch because Jesus knocks, but he doesn't use a battering ram. Jesus knocks on your heart door, but you have to open it from the inside. You have to invite him into your life. Let me ask you today, have you done that? Have you invited Jesus Christ into your life to be your Lord and Savior? I want to give you an opportunity right now to do that very thing. I don't know how you would describe yourself if you'd say, look, pastor, I'm I'm kind of a spiritual explorer here. I, I'm kind of an explorer. I, I'm, I'm kicking the tires. I'm wondering what the, I don't know how you do. Maybe you're a person who's just grown up in church. You know all the facts, but maybe there's something still missing. I don't know where you are, but I do know this. The whole reason Jesus came at Christmas was to save people from every end of the spectrum. Would you bow your heads with me right now? And I want to invite you to pray this prayer and invite Jesus to come into your life and to begin to change you from the inside out. Would you just pray it silently right where you are? Oh God, I know that I'm a sinner. I know that I've broken your laws and fallen short of your standard. Please forgive me. Thank you for opening my spiritual eyes. 
please forgive my sin. Please adopt me into your family. And Lord, would you begin to change me from the inside out. Father, I do pray that you would meet every man and woman, every young person who's prayed that prayer right where they are and do just what they've asked. Would you honor your word today and would you meet them where they are, save their life, forgive their sin, and do what you alone can do. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.